Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings, Part 1. I'm looking for a king who does God my way. Recorded Sunday, June 5th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. When I was 24, I had a situation that I felt real good about myself. And then the shoe fell. You ever had that? Like you feel real good and then boom. You ever had that happen? Of course you have. Well, I graduated from college. Big day for me. I was pretty proud of myself in a humble sort of way. The ceremony was held at a college, Nebraska Christian College, in the alumni hall slash gymnasium. And it was the largest uh, graduating class that that college had ever had and never really has had. And so a lot of my colleagues who are still in ministry today were in that ceremony. And uh, I remember walking up on the stage at the time, and they handed me this beautiful blue folder and shook my hand and walked off the stage, sat down next to the guys that were rotating through, opened up the folder, no diploma. I'm like, huh? Looked over at this guy, he had a diploma. Looked over at that guy, he had a diploma. And I'm like, hmm, is it a term paper I didn't turn in? I, I, the, the wheels are spinning, right? Uh, the gig's up, they've figured me out, they know they can't unleash me in a church, it'd be a disaster, and and so, you know, I'm freaking out, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I got up after the ceremony, I didn't hear anything after that, I mean, it's like, what's going on here? So, you know, we departed and uh, took the robe off, and to be honest, I was, I had all kinds of things, I'm thinking my, I got relatives here, my parents were there, of course, Jackie was there. Um, my, in- my in-laws came. Uh, my grandmother was there. I-, I was the first of her grandchildren to graduate from college. And she had 30 grandkids. So I- I'm- how am I going to tell them? You know? So I- I- I'm-, I'm, as you can tell, I was pretty agitated. And uh, a man named Dick Wamsley, who was the dean of students, he came up to me and he shook, his- shook my hand and I thought, oh, now he's going to tell me why I don't have the diploma. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. And so I said, hey, uh, and I was kind of afraid to do it. I said, got any ideas? And he said, ah, just an oversight. Don't worry about it. Congratulations. Last week, we came to this crucial question that I think every person here sh- should, should answer. It's a, it's a question that Jesus asked his disciples in the first century, intended for all of us, The question is, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the courageous one, pipes up, and he gives the best answer possible. He gave the right answer. You are the Christ. And as you know, Jesus Christ is not his name, Jesus Christ. Christ is a title, meaning the crowned one, the the king, the, the one over all. Okay? Great answer. Great answer. It made them all feel real good. It made Peter feel real good, you know. Then Jesus started talking about things that didn't make them feel real good. That didn't fit their view of their preferred future with him. He started telling them about betrayal, rejection, beatings, death. And then Peter, the brash one, challenged that. 
And Jesus said, in essence, yeah, I've heard that kind of talk before, Satan. I'll have nothing of that. I thought about this this week, about how these disciples, Peter, I mean, I give that guy a lot of grace because I'm at least as brash as he is. And I think about how they must have talked among themselves and even with him more about what it means to follow him to a cross. And then he throws another gem at them. He says this in Mark chapter 8, 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, so he's got all kinds of people now in this scenario, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it, save it. What's it going to profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? You forfeit your soul. What will, what will you give in exchange for your soul? There's another penetrating questions that in this place, we have to ask these questions. What would you give for your soul? Because I'm telling you, there's all kinds of options, and you know this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, which continues today, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, there's something that we all know, but it's not easy to grasp or accept. Christianity without a cross is not Christianity. It's a sham. It's a facade. The cross is what makes Jesus Christ. The cross is what makes you Christ in. As you already know, during this month, we're, we're transitioning into this series we're calling Paper Kings. And it's going to challenge the kinds of things that we often like to put on the throne of our lives, the sham makers, the facade kings and it's going to lean us back into the real king and here's the thing and, and just to be honest I'm glad he starts this way because let's get it out of the way right now the worst kind of king in your life and mine me you we make lousy kings now I don't want to rain on, rain on your parade I mean I, you know I know the world's trying to tell you you're all this all this you know every, you're everything but the first king that needs to be exposed as the fraud and pretender in our lives is me and I imagine if you're normal, you look pretty normal to me. I imagine for the rest of your human life, you will struggle with you on the throne. Even after you put Jesus there. Let's be real about it. But there are some requirements of yielding yourself before the throne of God. And he, he walks through all of them in this, in this teaching. Here's the first requirement. It is a decision. He says, whoever desires to come after me. No one's going to force Jesus on you, okay? And if they did, they didn't know what they were doing. He's not here to force himself on you. He never will. And, and I just want to make this clear, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about this, even in theology today. God is real. Jesus came to reveal God to us, 
but you have to decide, will I desire to follow him? It's his decision. He made a decision long before human beings ever in, in, enveloped this planet. He made a decision that anyone who would come after him, he would save them. He made that decision before the beginning of time. He made the decision that, that anyone, anyone, before he created one human being, it, he determined that who, if anyone wants to be saved, you can be saved. No one, you know, you're not like some, you know, select person that God said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to leave out the billions others. Anyone. That was his decision. But it's also your decision. It's a personal choice. If anyone desires to come after me, that's a choice that's so big that it focuses your choice on one person in the history and forward thinking in the eternity of, of, of beings, and that's Jesus. But that requires something else. It requires denial. Whoever desires to come after me, let him de deny himself. You know, I, I, today I want to challenge you to question everything about yourself. Because according to Jesus, denial is the surrender point of following him. And who knows? Maybe you feel real good about yourself. And maybe you should. I don't know. Maybe you've had some recent accomplishment or something good's happened in your life. That's different. That's, that's just life working. Maybe you don't feel so good about yourself. That's life. But I hope they're not hurt. But, <laughs> but denial of self is a big deal. And, and it will continue to be a big deal because it's my greatest hindrance to following him. Paul, who was one of the epic followers of Jesus who wrote much of the New Testament, uh, he, he really identified in him the real issue. And, and that means it's an issue that we have to identify too. And he's talking about how, how sin takes over our lives and, and what it does to us. And, and you, have to, you have to understand this in order to understand what denial is. Romans 7 says, I do not understand myself, he writes. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. You ever been there? Like, you know, I want to, you know, you can name it. I want to get clean, but I just can't. You know, I want to treat my spouse differently, but uh, I, I want to, you name it. You know, I want to love that guy, but he's, you know, I just can't get there. When I do the thing I do not want to do, it shows me that the law is right and good. It just shows that God's right about us. So I'm not doing it. Sin living in me is doing it. I'm letting sin take control of my life and have reign in it. I know there's nothing good in me. That is in my flesh, the way I live my life apart from God. That's what that means. For I want to do good, but I do not. I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I'm always doing the sinful things I don't want to do. Have you noticed that our culture is not real big on self-denial? And I don't think I have to give any, any examples. But the fact is, and, and if you're honest with yourself, because self-denial requires this, you know that you struggle with self-denial. That, you know, pride is a big thing for all of us. 
And the fact is, we tend to be very self-centered human beings. Everything in this world directs us to that. Virtually every form of entertainment, every Disney movie, everything, be yourself, love yourself, see yourself, be seen. You are great. Well, you're okay, but you're a lousy God. And so am I. Denial requires I say no to myself because there's a better one, and it's Jesus. And you know what? Denial, to get there, you know what it requires? You may not like this. Death. Yeah. It includes death. That's what he says. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and carry a cross. Take up a cross. Now, this is where 99% of the people who were following him in the first century said, nah, no thanks. Sayonara. Adios, amigos. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, it's probably where we're going to check out many of us in this culture today. Because frankly, they didn't want anything to do with any crosses. Because when, when he started talking about crosses, he wasn't talking about $300 pieces of jewelry on our body or, or some kind of $1,500 tattoo on our thigh or something like that. I mean, he was talking about the real thing. Like, I don't know about you, but I often spiritualize a cross. Like what I'll do is I'll say, well, I got to bear my own cross, you know, my cross, whatever my cross is. You know, and, it, and usually it's a pretty weak thing, like it's some kind of wimpy thing, right? I've got my cross to bear. And there are crosses we bear. I'm not, look, we carry crosses, but there's only one worth bearing, and that's his. And let's talk about that, because there's more to it. The point Jesus is making here is not to compare a cross to some burden that I'm bearing in life. The cross he's talking about is where something dies. Okay, so what dies on his cross? And, and it's our cross too because we're bearing his cross. The old me dies, Romans chapter 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. That's the old me going into the grave and the new me coming to life and resurrection. That's what he offers us, but there's death. See that? What else dies? The flesh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So in other words, the self-driven life, the life that this world says, you got to do everything for yourself, you got to be everything for yourself, you can't let anybody get in your way, that guy goes to death and is buried, and a new guy comes to life because of Jesus. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know another thing that's supposed to die on a cross? His cross, so thusly your cross and my cross, selfishness, selfishness. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his selflessness, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
taking up your cross means the Spirit of God is going to wipe out your love for yourself and the world above him. And you're putting him on the proper place of your life. A cross wipes me out. The cross erases the person I want to be, that this world tells me I should be, and it gives me a new life where I become a person he wants me to be. And, and by the way, I, you probably know this if, if you know anything about the cross he went to. A cross involves pain and hurt. It always does. Now, I want you to understand this, and I believe this with all my heart. He went to that cross to take our pain and hurt with him. That's why he took that road. He took my punishment on him, yours too. The disgrace, the shame that, that I would have facing God with my sin, he thrust that on his own back, and he crucified it with him. So that's true, and yet there is an aspect of, of pain that comes with the person who follows him when it comes to a cross, because I'm going to have to give up some stuff that maybe makes me feel real good until it doesn't, until it gets real bad. So the hurts that come are things like, oh, I like the way this makes me feel and how it makes me feel about myself, but I've got to give that up because I know it's not his will for my life. It hurts when, when the people I care about kick dirt in my face because I'm trying to live by ethics that they don't appreciate. I was talking to a man at a barbecue a while back, and we were talking about something. I didn't know him until this conversation, but he threw this buzzword at me that the word is deconstruction. Heard of it? And I guess it's something that a lot of Christians are facing right now in their faith. So what they're doing is they're, they're encouraging people to deconstruct their minds with anything that they've learned about God and then to recreate God in an image that they think is more preferable. And a lot of it has to do with how we see people in, the terms, of, in, in terms of tolerance and, and, and acceptance. And, and look, I think, I think that's all fine as long as we don't stray away from the things that Jesus and God say are true things in our lives that need to be addressed. And, and, and so he said this to me, and I, I'm quoting, I'm not quoting him, but it's, it's in my memory, it's how he, how he said, I'm not going to a church that sings songs and preaches to me about how evil and full of sin I am. And at first I'm like, hey man, I get it. I don't really want to go and get battered like that either. But then I was reading in the scripture just, just days after that. I was in uh, my reading time and I was in the book of Job, Job 42, and he says this, that, that we don't receive the righteousness of God unless we're willing to repent in dust and ashes. There's something about us that needs to bring us to the point in our lives where we recognize that in terms of our righteousness, we're in the dust when we compare ourselves to God. Which of us, though, if allowed to choose our version of God, our version of Jesus, would ever choose a scenario of defeat, disaster, despair, disappointment, disillusionment, self-doubt, even death, uh, yet these very elements will probably come into your life. 
The scripture tells us that God finds absolutely essential that we take a path that he's on. And sometimes that path hurts because we got to give up something that we like. But we know that in the end it will kill us. So what would you put in that category? I mean, what would you say, you know, I'm in, in the place of God, I will hold on to this. That's a death march, friend. And until you see it, you haven't found out what dust and ashes really means. Okay, now the cross also, here's the thing that baffles me about these guys that followed him, until I think about myself at least. The cross leads to resurrection, and I thought it was strange. Like Jesus taught about this openly to them for for months. He told them where this was all headed, and, and as soon as he mentioned the cross, it's like that's where they got, they stopped right there. Like in their thinking. They never, it seemed like they never heard the word resurrection. And I thought, well, that's weird to me until I think about me <laughs> and the people I work with every day. Now, first of all, here's the reason that they got stuck on thinking about what a cross is. To them, a cross was different than it is to us. To them, it's what lined their roads with people being decimated, naked, and dying. And they saw it. They all knew what it looked like because the Romans were doing that. So understand their vision of a cross. They didn't want to even talk about it. Who would? But Jesus took the most vile, the most shameful, the most horrific form of capital punishment ever contrived by the sickness of a human mind, and he made it glorious. He made it a portal to resurrection. That's where they got lost. They couldn't get past the pain, the suffering, the horror to see the glory of what would follow. And that's understandable. And I would say, well, I'm not that way. Well, of course I'm not that way. I'm looking back. But what about when I'm in my own horror and destruction and, and, and destitution? Is it easy for me to see a way out? Is it easy for me to see the glory beyond that? I would say no. Because you know what? That's hard to see when you're in that phase. But yet all of us were created for resurrection. All of us were created to be free and whole and wholesome and adequate and able to handle life's challenges, able to cope with life. In our desire to create saviors, though, we, we contrive images of Moanas and Batmans and Elsas and Iron Men and Wonder Women and whatever trendy superstar you'd like to attach to. Because we know we need superstars. Well, we need more than a superstar. We need a Christ. And all of those pretenders point us to that need being met. Jesus says it's met in a couple stages. This is a passage that moved my life 40 years ago, and I guess I would say it's my life passage, the one that I go back to so often. It's Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. His invitation is this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching, my learning on you, and learn from me, because I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Because my yoke is easy, he says, my, my body of work and teaching. It's easy, 
and my burdens are light. Are light. So there's a couple stages there. You know, the stage is come and learn. That's a lifelong process, and that requires devotion. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a path. Come after me. You probably know what a paradox is, right? And no, it's not just a set of Doc Martens sitting in your closet. A paradox, Dan loves that. He thought that was just brilliant when I said that. A paradox is a contradiction that proves itself to be true. And this is the greatest paradox that Jesus ever stated. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then he asks this question, great question. What will it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What will you, what will you be willing to give up in exchange for your soul? And really the answer is in our world, in our culture, in our day, and every day since the fall of man until Jesus returns, the answer is this. People will give, they'll, they'll do all kinds of things and forfeit their soul. All kinds of things. And I think he's asking us, will I deny myself of what the world offers me in pleasure and, and cheap trinkets and, and will I follow the one who says he can give us the glory of what God has for us? And why would someone choose that path? I mean, I mean, really, this is a question that we should probably ask. Why would I? Why would I give up so much of what the world offers if it means that I can get something else? Because that something else is my soul. My soul wrapped up in the glory and presence of God for eternity. That's what it means. Why would I yield my throne to him? Because my throne's a paper throne. He makes this statement, and it's a challenging statement. And we're not going to skip it at Third City Christian Church. Some churches wouldn't read this passage. It seems too exclusive. It seems too hard. Uh, I'm going to read it. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, as a Christian, I am called either to believe in our Lord or the voices of the paper kings. And I will choose time after time after time after time who I will follow. There's an old saying that goes like this. Your best resolutions must be wholly waived. Your highest ambitions be crossed. You need never to think you'll ever be saved until you've learned that you're lost. Lord, you are challenging us in ways that nothing in this world could ever even approach. When you offer yourself to humanity, you certainly didn't do it in a cheap or meaningless way. No, you, you went to a cross. And if we don't grasp that, 
And if at some level we don't come to a point where we kneel before you in the dust and ashes, I don't think we've ever really approached the place that we need to be. And I know we're being told and we're telling ourselves, I got to feel real good about myself. And yet if I'm honest, I know. I will never feel real good about myself unless I understand who you are and I put myself appropriately in a place of worshiping you. So Lord, in this communion time, we're remembering again a price paid by a God who loves his people. Very expensive. Incomprehensibly valuable a God who would die on a cross for us and come out of it in resurrection. We're grateful, Lord. We're thankful for Jesus. So we take this bread resembling the broken body of Jesus in love for us and we eat it in remembrance of him. We take the cup, a new way of life, a resurrection life, a new covenant life. And as we drink it, we're reminded of a price paid by the God of the universe who shed his blood for us. Drink it, all of you, in remembrance of him. There'll be a day when he's going to return. He's going to establish his eternal, glorious kingdom and he says he's going to do this with us then. Won't that be something? That is a really challenging song to sing. I mean, it all sounds great, doesn't it? It, all, it, it, it feels real good. It feels real good to say that and to sing that. You know, I'll lay my whole life down. My king forever. It felt real good when I finally got that diploma. I got it, that piece of paper. It's on my shelf in my office. I have two diplomas in there, one from that college, one from the cemetery, cemetery the seminary, <laughs> kind of the same thing. That third, that, thank you. That cemetery diploma, I want that one too, by the way. But, oh my gosh. Hard to make a point coming out of that. But we're going to do it. You know what those diplomas are worth right now? Nothing. Neither one of those colleges even exist. They, they, they're gone. I felt real good about myself. You know what really feels good? And I'm just being honest with you. It's that for 40 years, I've been on a path with Jesus. I feels good. And has it been easy? No. Have there been sacrifices? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. But listen, it's worth it. Because, I, by the way, if, you're, if you've had an accomplishment that you feel good about, enjoy it. We had a nice party after the graduation. It was great. I remember it even today. It was wonderful. But you know what? That was the beginning of my call to ministry. And in this path that I'm on, 
what feels real good is when I see Jesus change lives. I get to see that every day where he steps into your life and something comes to life, something dies, something's raised. Jesus, the throne of kings, me as the follower, and he's shown me over and over again that it's not necessary for me to die on a cross. It's necessary for me to die on his. There's a difference, friend. It's the gospel that we live for. It's his cross. His cross is enough. Every day, day after day, I have the honor of witnessing people dying on his cross. And it is glorious. And for you, maybe you today, you got to go there. And if it means dust and ashes, so you can see who he really is, so be it. And we're here to help with that. So if God's moving you that way, if you know you need to to center your life and worship of the true king, the real king, we have a place called the hub at our exits. Stop there and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to take this step with Jesus. Just lead me on. Where you lead me, I will follow. I'll lay my whole life down before you. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.